Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. I'm not going to preach long, but thank you, Pastor. I love you guys so much. I'm so blessed by all that God is. Revival's not coming to this church. It's already here. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Six words, draw a line right there. In all that ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. He will make your path straight. In all that ways, acknowledge him. Let's go in that version, and he shall direct thy path. Twelve words, six of those words change my life. And I'm going to pray here this morning. Father, I just pray that as I deliver this word today, you would give me power and strength that I've never had before for people that I love more than they ever could know. Lord, I just feel like something is happening that is so powerful and a bridge that is being built from here to downtown and so much hope is going to pass through it and all these other beautiful campuses that are watching right now all over the city. I pray blessing upon the pastors and the leaders and the churches who are watching and all those online and I just ask you to use this message for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've been pastoring for 26 years. I started when I was 20 years of age. Um, it was interesting. My dad received a little building in downtown L.A. Uh, from the Assemblies of God denomination that nobody wanted. In fact, the building was getting ready to be sold. They said, Pastor Tommy, can you come and save this building from being taken over in the middle of downtown L.A.? And so my dad said, sure, I'll find a pastor. We'll plant a pastor and we'll start a church in, in one of the biggest um, gang-ravaged communities all of Los Angeles during that time. And so my dad got a bunch of pastors in the van, and they drove around. I was 20 years of age. I was called by God to pastor when I was 17 at a youth camp, but I thought that would happen years down the road. I never even thought it would happen. Like, and I'm in the back seat of the car driving uh, um, around with my dad and all these pastors, and, and my dad said, the church, you know my dad, he gets excited about everything. He's one of those guys. He's like, and, and, and he's very dramatic. He talks like he's in a movie all the time. Like a motion picture, you know, and he's like, and this is what's going to happen. It's going to be the great, the church is on Sunset Boulevard. They're thinking Sunset, nightclubs, cool, Hollywood. But they don't realize Sunset starts right by Dodger Stadium, right by one of the tougher areas in all of Los Angeles. And eventually it gets over there. And these pastors pulled around. And uh, during that time, they were in the middle of the biggest gang um, uh, ravaged community. They had these rival gangs that were coming through. And, um, and, and so he looked, and, and we, they, we saw a bunch of guys on the, on the steps of the church just drinking a 40, hanging out. And every single one of those pastors said, I don't feel a letter of the Holy Spirit to come and pastor this church. So I, I, my dad couldn't find a real pastor, so he asked me to come and pastor for three months. I'm not kidding. He said, I'll give you 10 sermons, my greatest hits. Memorize them, preach them. And that's how it was supposed to happen. And so when I got there, I got a sermon files and looked through them. I got 10 sermons, and I went there, and I was 20 years of age. I started pastoring, and, uh, and my church went from 18 people down to two. You guys know what a book on church growth? I can write the book on church reduction, man. We were, having, we were having a revival in reverse, man. It was going backwards. And I was so discouraged. I was 20 years of age. I came from a mega church of 10,000 people, 7,000-seat auditorium. And here I couldn't get one person to show up on a Sunday night. And I went to my office, I just began to cry. I said, God, will anybody show up? And I looked in my, uh, out the window and I saw one car pull up to the parking lot. I said, thank you, God, we're going to have church tonight. And, and uh, that person got out of the car and walked and walked up to the church and kept walking and went to the liquor store right next to the church. And I was so discouraged. And so I joined them. No, I know. And so, but, uh, you see, you guys would laugh at that. That's what I love about you guys. I said that in Tulsa and they're like, huh? And, but, uh. And so I went to church that night, and I preached. I mean, and I preached anyway with nobody in the crowd. Not one person showed up, and I was so discouraged. 
And I went home and I just cried on my pillow for three hours. I said, God, I'm the biggest failure in all the world. Maybe the anointing was on my grandfather. Maybe it was on my father. And maybe it skipped a generation with me, God. And I just wept. And as I began to cry for three hours, literally, the Lord spoke a word to me. He said, I want you to stop your crying. I want you to get up and I want you to go to Echo Park. Now, for God to tell you to do a prayer walk in Echo Park and Skid Row and all over the city of L.A. in the middle of the night was a pretty bold word. I thought God was mad at me for being a big old baby and was just going to finish me off that night, you know. <laughs> and I went, and that night I walked seven hours around the city of Los Angeles. I walked through Skid Row, Los Angeles, obviously with thousands of homeless people. I walked around the whole area around the church, and I walked to Echo Park, and I looked for helicopters. Um, uh, I looked at the helicopters up in the sky as they were trying to find people to arrest them. I saw young men up against police cars being arrested, and God spoke to me. He said, tonight in this park, I want you to die to the dream of being a success. I want you to go home. I want you to rip up your five-year plans of what the church ought to be on where you ought to go. Nothing wrong with them, but to me, I had a vision that God didn't want me to have. I want you to go home and rip up your 10-year plans. And he said, I just want you to acknowledge me and I will direct your path. And he gave me that scripture. He said, whatever I put in your hand, I want you to use it to help people. I said, God, I have nothing in my hand. I don't have a secretary. I don't have a staff member. All I have is a phone, a desk, and enough money to buy three bags of food. And God said, that's where the ministry needs to start. Don't wait till you have everything to be happy. Celebrate what you have on the way to where you're going. Serve with what you have. So I moved my desk on the sidewalk, and all the mamas would walk by every day taking their kids to school, and they'd be like, hola, bueno, which means whitey in Spanish. And then, uh, and then they would come by the next day, and I had my, my desk, my phone, my, my jar of candy, and a little soccer ball to kick around with the kids after school. And they would come by, and they said, oh, and then they liked me a little bit more. And they came by and said, hola, huerito, which means little whitey in Spanish. And it was so beautiful and it was so nice. And, and um, we were just hanging out with the people. And, uh, and I wasn't thinking about the word success ever again. I said, God, for the rest of my life, I, I want to fall in love with what I can do. And that is I can be faithful. I can serve no matter what circumstances or seasons and time. And that's something I could be successful with, with being faithful. I think sometimes we, we, we judge our success based on if we're hitting the mark or not, rather than simply saying, God, how can I just be faithful for as long as I possibly can in the calling you've given me, and you shall direct my path. And then God spoke to me. He said, yeah, I have something else I want to give you. And then someone donated a house. And God spoke to me to start a drug and alcohol rehab program. And I said, God, I've never used drugs in my life. He said, I want you taking two people that have drug problems and start discipling them. And so they moved into my house, and the first day they came there, they said, what's the, what's the program, Pastor? I said, I have no idea. <laughs> Just show up to Bible study in the morning and go to church. That's all we had. But I realized that in life, you can never get caught up with the perfect plan. Don't let the perfect plan get in the way of getting started. Don't let the perfect plan get in the way of just stepping out in need and buying a building in downtown Dallas. If, it, if the idea doesn't make sense, there's a good chance it might make history, and that's evidence of your calling. Don't be afraid to take big risks in the middle of tough times, especially when you're trying to rebuild something for people. There's a guarantee that comes along with serving, and, uh, and something began to happen. Then we had two homes and three homes. We had 14 homes in the neighborhood that were being, uh, lives were being impacted and changed, and my, my church was 80% homeless at that time. So I'd get up and preach and would bring people from Skid Row to church, and I'd be preaching on faith. You know, you have to have faith to please God. I'd be up there talking about faith, and people would be making out in the back row, and I had to change my sermon and preach on moral purity. I mean, it was like, I was... 
I, I, I got to a point where I didn't even prepare a sermon. I just went out there and looked at the crowd and said, today I'm going to preach on drug addiction, or today I'm going to just, I just, total freestyle, because it would never go the direction. I just had to scan the audience and preach on what I saw, you know, and, and we were bringing people in from the buses, and lives were being changed. Before long, we filled that whole building that went from 18 to 2, trying to be a success, trying to put the organ on the perfect part of the stage, trying to put the old plants that we used to have, you know, where they needed to go on stage. Thank God, none here. And uh, <laughs> just trying to, trying to build the perfect place. And God said, I want you to fall in love with serving. I want you to fall in love with the simplicity of the gospel. You just acknowledge me. Whatever I put in your hand, I want you to use it, and I will direct your path. We outgrew that neighborhood one day. I'm driving down the Hollywood Freeway. I look to my right, and I see the biggest hospital I'd ever seen in my life on the Hollywood Freeway. You can go ahead and show it now. 400,000 square feet right there, right next to Dodger Stadium um, on the other side of the hill. And I saw that campus, and I looked at that campus, and I said, God, they said for sale on it, all those buildings. So I pull over the side of the road, and this is a 1994 or 1996. I'm 22 years of age. And, and I, I see a movie being filmed there. Brad Pitt and George Clooney were filming a movie there. Paramount Studios was going to take it over and turn it into a movie set. And they've already made a $16 million offer to purchase the building. In 1996, a huge, a really good deal, too. And um, so they're getting ready to buy it. And so I walked in. And I said, well, you know, I'll give it a try. And, and then I saw Brad Pitt and George Clooney filming, like, one of the Oceans movies. I mean, every movie was filmed there. Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween. I mean, you name every horror film was filmed in our building. When we bought the building, I was going up the elevator with that Mike Myers guy from Halloween, getting ready to film a scene. I'm like, what's going on? I'm like talking to him. He's like holding something in his hand. It's like the weirdest thing I've ever experienced. <laughs> and uh, they were going to turn into, into and so all, all these famous movies were being filmed there. And, and so they were filming Brad Pitt and George Clooney. I walked right up to Brad Pitt because I'm not intimidated by actors. I'm intimidated by your pastor, but I'm not intimidated by actors. <laughs> Because he's just so, he has so much charisma. I mean, everything he said just has emphasis. He's amazing. And uh, I walked right to Brad Pitt. I said, Brad Pitt, man, how you doing? He stopped. He looked at me like, who is this guy talking to me so boldly and without any kind of fear? But back then, we were on the TBN show. TBN gave us free airtime every Friday night for like several years. One day it just showed up because they raised money for a ministry that was working in the urban area that left, and they wanted to be good to the TBN audience who paid for that money to go towards urban television, things like that. So they donated to us. So one day all this TV equipment shows up. We didn't know what to do, so we just started filming a show based upon going out to the streets and filming people being helped. We call it the Dream Center documentary. And, like, we would be talking to vampires on TBN. Like literally ministering to vampires in the street about Jesus, you know, and, and I can imagine all the mamas watching that, that TV show, and we'd be talking to prostitutes in the middle of the night, you know, working a shift and telling them about Jesus and showing it on television live, and uh, we just decided just to be who we were, you know, and, and, and show it, and so we were on every single Friday night, and, uh, and so when we were on the show, uh, Brad Pitt stopped, and he's kind of rude to me, but then he looked at me. He said, wait a sec, I know who you are. He said... Are you that guy that's on Friday night, that Christian channel? He said, are you Matthew Barnett? No, he didn't say that. I'm just messing. I'm sorry. No, he didn't do it. He, he actually used my head for an ashtray, but for a cigarette, he needed. But anyways, spread it. So I walked in, and the Catholic church owned the building. And I said, I want to buy this building. How much is it? They laughed at me. They said, do you have $16 million? I said, no, but I have a dream. They weren't impressed. Like you were just now. You were. Thank you. They were impressed. 
they kicked me out of the building and wouldn't even allow me to get a tour of the building. So I was walking out, and I looked, and, and I looked to my left, and I, I saw a security guard that wasn't paying attention. And I saw an open door, a literal open door, a spiritual and literal open door. And he wasn't looking, and I looked, looked my left, right, snuck in the building, and I gave myself a tour of the building anyways. How many here knows when God gives you a dream, sometimes you got to go gangster for Jesus, right? And so I'm walking around the building with one eye on Jesus, and one eye on the security guard. I'm like, Lord... Give me a quick word, please. And I saw that 15-story tower. And this is what God began to speak to me. It was so weird. It happened so fast. He said, I want this floor to be for people that have drug and alcohol problems. I want this floor right here to be for homeless runaways. I want this floor right here to be for veterans. I want this floor right here to be for emancipated minors who age out of the foster care system. And I began to see the whole thing. And I went to the top of the roof of, of, uh, of the Dream Center. I looked out, and God spoke to me. He said, if the pimps can work 24 hours a day, if the adult film industry, which preys on runaway kids when they get off the Greyhound bus if they can work all hours of the night, if people can work in the train stations to find people and they get off the train station to get them involved in some horrible things, if they can work 24 hours a day, I want you to be involved in ministry 24 hours. I want you to give this building and I want to be open 24 hours, seven days a week to anybody who I need. You see, that wasn't in my success dream. That wasn't the thing about uh, God's dream for your life is sometimes your dream has to go to rock bottom because God doesn't destroy dreams in rock bottom. He actually recreates dreams in rock bottom. You might think you're in the worst place in your life right now. You're in a place where God is recreating you into something you never would have dreamed of if everything had gone according to plan. Things that go according to plan are oftentimes overrated because they don't, often don't even reveal the dreams in your heart that you don't even know that you had. There's things in you that only tough times can reveal that you never even knew that you loved. I never knew that I loved people that had drug addiction so much. I never knew how much I loved people in the prison system. Last month, we had 40 people sentenced to the Dream Center for one year in our recovery program instead of 10 to 20 year prison sentences. The judges, and I believe that the church is the answer for prison reform. The judge is pounding the gavel and he's telling prisoners, you're not going to prison. You're being sentenced to one year at the Dream Center. And we are, we're seeing cop, uh, police literally pull up with guys in chains and shackles and saying, um, would you take them? I'm saying, absolutely. The other day, I parked my car, and this, um, and this police car came so fast, and I pulled up right next to me at the Dream Center. I got scared. I'm like, man, I, I don't think I paid a couple parking tickets maybe. I don't know. He's like, Pastor, would you take this guy? And I, and I said, sure. And he's coming out, and he looked like he was in, like, Silence of the Lambs or something, you know? And coming out, I'm like, maybe we won't. No, we'll take him. We'll take him. He's good. Never know, but uh, but God, but, but we, we met with the Catholic Church. We said, look, we don't have that kind of money. We don't have $16 million, but we have a dream. And they said, go ahead and make us an offer. I looked at my dad. He looked at me. We only had $50,000 a year coming in the offerings. And we're making a bid on the building. And we just said $3.9 million. And they said, okay. And they accepted our offer for $3.9 million versus $16 million for Paramount Movie Studios. And now today, there's over 700 residents that live in the building every day. Hundreds of people that are coming off of drugs and alcohol, families that were homeless and now have a place to go every day, 24 hours, seven days a week serving. And that wasn't in my five-year plan. But sometimes your plan has to go to rock bottom just so simply you can say, God, whatever you put in my hand, I'm just going to just simplify my whole life. I want to use whatever influence you give me, and I just want to serve people. I'm in all my ways. Acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. 
That scripture changed my life. And I've lived by that every, you know, that's why I love this church. That's why I love the crazy, um, risky faith that God has put in your heart. Because when I walked through that building yesterday, I just wanted to cry. I wanted to collapse and just, and being so overwhelmed because God's given you so much success in all these campuses. Yet you choose to take on one of the greatest challenges of your life. Acknowledging him and he is going to direct your path. You acknowledge him with what you have. You don't wait till you have something to celebrate. You celebrate every step along the way to where you're going. You enjoy where you're at on the way to where you're going. I drive down the Hollywood Freeway, and there's a man that was living under the bridge every day. For years, he lived under the bridge. As a matter of fact, he was under the bridge for 17 years. He was so famous for being homeless that people would actually like come by and look at him and say, like, this guy, his favorite scripture was, I shall not be moved, because he never wanted to move from the bridge he was living under. And he was just, like, famous for it. Like, I would drive down the freeway, and I would offer him money sometimes to start a relationship with him. I would try anything just to find a way to, to reach this guy. Nothing worked. No, I don't want anything. Well, one day, um, we had a youth group in town, and some, some young girl from, um, I think she was, like, Tulsa, Oklahoma or something like that. She was definitely from Oklahoma somewhere in there. And she, and she was from the youth group, and she said, Pastor, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down, and I'm going to go minister to that guy living under the bridge. And uh, deep down inside my heart, I'm like, well, that's good. But and she goes, I'm going to bring him to the Dream Center, and he's going to get a meal at the Dream Center line. And I, I felt like saying, well, you know, God's man of power and faith in 17 years hasn't been able to reach him. What makes you think that you're going to reach him, you know? But I didn't say that because my dad always taught me ministry. When someone tells you something you don't believe they can do, you never say that to them. You just smile and say, well, praise the Lord. She said, I'm going to bring that man. He's coming to the Dream Center for the first time in 17 years. I said, well, praise the Lord. And I went down, and uh, she went down and found him and said, sir, you're coming to the Dream Center. Just teenage girl. He said, no, I'm not. She said, yes, you are. You're coming to the Dream Center. Like, like the, the girl in the Grinch, you know, just finding him in the cave and just, just pulls him by the hand and forces him to the Dream Center. I said, how did you do this? She said, well, before I came here, my youth group had a, a discussion about evangelism. My youth pastor said that we ought to compel people to come into the house of the Lord. And that word compel in the Greek pastor means to physically force them into the house of the Lord. Sometimes you got to go gangster for Jesus, I guess. But, but he'd come by, get his meal every day, and he didn't go to Bible study. He'd get his meal, and he would go home. He'd get his meal, he would go home. He didn't want to change. He didn't want a Bible study. He didn't want any kind of uh, mentoring. He didn't want any, any of the stuff that we provide. He was just using us. He was getting free food, going under the bridge. And I was getting mad. And I said, God, this guy is using us. All he wants is free food and free stuff. And he doesn't want to help people. And are we even being a good steward of our resources by serving when this guy doesn't even want to take advantage of all the Bible studies we have? And the Lord spoke to me and he said, if you want to be a bridge of hope to the world, you've got to allow yourself to be walked on if you want to be a bridge. Let him use you for all the free stuff that you could find. Let him use you for everything. And so he just kept doing it. And then one day he showed up and he's an older gentleman. He said, Pastor, I want to go into your rehab program. And I'm like, well, brother, praise the Lord. Because I mean, our rehab program is not like the ones in Malibu, you know, online crowd, you know, where they massage you and give you whirlpools and for $50,000 a month you get this. No, at the Dream Center you get beans and rice and Jesus Christ, you know. And a, he wanted to come in the program. It's one year. 
It's one year, and I said, okay, praise the Lord. And so this guy came to the program and shocked us all. Not only did he go through the program, he graduated the program, and Homeless Barry, many of you have seen him now, is Pastor Barry. He's a licensed minister of the gospel. He went, he went from the bridges to a licensed pastor. He's on my staff, and he preaches to the people that get their food in the food line, and sometimes he'll preach all week long. He's amazing. He wasn't in my five-year plan, but he was in God's cause. God's cause is always greater than man's dreams. God's cause is always greater. And now I look around, 70% of my staff are graduates of our drug and alcohol rehab program. I mean, we got in our church, we got ex-drug addicts, we got ex-pimps, we got ex-murderers, we got ex-gang members, and that's just a pastoral staff. That's not including everybody else we got going on, you know? I mean, you know you got an outreach church when the preacher says, can I get a witness? And everybody like ducks. Like. I mean, you know you got an outreach church when someone is selling knockoff t-shirts of your ministry when people walk outside the church in the truck across the street. One of our guys said, Pastor, Pastor, someone's selling knockoff t-shirts of our ministry unauthorized. I'm like, is he making money? I said, yeah. Is that going back to the economy? I said, yeah. I go, let, 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 let the man hustle. You know, let him hustle for Jesus, man. Let everybody get a little blessing in here, all right? And all that ways acknowledge him. I used to dream every day of preaching to thousands. And now, whenever I preach, I'm thinking about the one. Whenever I'm preaching, I'm thinking about the one. I'm, I'm thinking, I've never forgot about the one. That's the one thing that's kept me going in 26 years. That's what's keeping us going during the lockdown right now. When everything's shut down since March 8th, I mean, literally nothing has been able to really function. The schools have been shut down in California since March 8th. We have not, we've been online since March 8th in California. And when, when it first happened, the lockdowns, I thought it was over because I thought the ministry was over for us because we live on like a three to four week margin every single week. And I, th- I said, well, it's over. This is what God spoke to me. He said, well, if you think it's over, why don't you go out and go back to where it started and just start feeding people? And so I went to our team. I said, guys, the moment this happened, we're, we're going to see hunger like never before. We have 45% unemployment in our neighborhood, 45%. In our community, around the dreams, 45%. So I told our team, I said, we need to serve. We need to be true to what we've always been. And if if we're going out, we're going to go out big. We're going to go out serving people. And I said, how much food do we have? They said, we have food for about 3,000 people we can serve, saved up in our food pantry. I said, let's do it tomorrow. And we just started serving. Before long, it turned into seven days a week, 11 hours a day. The drive-through and the walk-ups and the and all that was going on seven days and then the school shut down so we started a school outdoor school for the kids in the neighborhood none of them had computers or wi-fi because of the wi-fi um inequity in our culture where the haves have them and the have-nots don't have it and so we were able to put high-speed wi-fi for the kids to be able to do all their education and work and school and everything and so it became a miracle and and we just realized that Everything we started, started with just whatever we had in our hand and started using it for the glory of God. What I've realized is that you can serve your way into freedom. You can serve your way into blessing. You can serve your way into victory. You can serve your way into joy. I've seen it every day of our lives during these tough times. And and children, they're showing up every day. Now over 100 children from the neighborhood are showing up to the online outdoor school. And and they're four weeks behind, six weeks behind in the academic calendar. And by the time they start, most of the kids are saying, why even bother? Why even try? I have no access to the online. And and no, no, when we want you to try. Here's why you need to try and try to motivate. 
but I've realized that there is power in living your life for the one. If you live your life with palms up, you'll only be happy at Christmas time and your birthday. But if you live your life with palms down, there's a way that you can be happy 365 days a year serving other people. It's been 26 years. In our city, everything, 30,000 employees just got laid off at Disneyland and, and, and all the different things that are happening around our city. And, and we're sitting on a building that even recently now, well, we were offered $97 million for our property on the Hollywood Freeway. But I just looked him in the eye and say, it's not for sale. Those guys in rehab, their heart and soul and their passion for God, it's not for sale. Those homeless families that are living in their cars, they have a place to live, that's not for sale. That, that emancipated youth has nowhere to go, that homeless teenage mom. Uh, no, there's some things that aren't for sale. No matter how hard it is and tough it is, I've realized that the only assurance that we have to make it is to, is to serve our way into purpose, to serve our way into victory. And that's why I love this church so much. You're, you're, you're stepping out. Your Adopt-a-block was going out all over the streets yesterday, right in the middle of a time where people say, wait till a better day. To do this kind of work, the answer is no. Now is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in him. In all that ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct thy path. I was living at the uh, Dream Center for about uh, a year um, for a while. And we were going through some changes in our house. And so I was, I, my whole family stayed in like, my office, little room attached to it. And uh, every night before we go to bed, we would hear from the floor below us the 200 men and women in our drug and alcohol one-year free program, and they would be singing worship every night. We literally went to bed every night hearing those guys sing as loud as they possibly could. And, there, and whenever I feel like I need inspiration, I don't go to the mountaintop. I just walk around the valley of need, and that's where I find the vision. I close with this, and now you, you, you guys want to begin to play. I'm going to be on time. I'm going to be a preacher. That's going to be on time. That's my goal. The Lord is always on time, and I want to be like Jesus. Amen. But the first day I came to L.A. when I was 20, I was scared of my own shadow. Every day I was so insecure. I didn't know what was going on. I was thrown into this assignment. I was only supposed to be there for three months until they found the real pastor. We're still looking for the real pastor. Maybe I found Maybe he's here. I really, that's why I came here. I'm looking for him, really. I'm trying to get out of here, but uh, I keep staying. But, um, but, but I'll never forget... The first day I got there, there's a young man. It was a Wednesday night service. I was supposed to introduce myself as a brand new pastor of the church. It was supposed to be kind of a meet and greet slash Bible study. And I walked in on the first night on a Wednesday night, and a young man was shot and killed on the steps of our church in a drive-by shooting by a rival El Salvadorian gang, and his body laid on the steps of our church. I had to literally walk around that young man who was shot in the ambulance to get to my first church service. And I walked in, and I talked to the church, and all of them were probably over 70 years of age. Awesome people stayed there long enough in order to transition the church into something else powerful. But I walked in, and I said, look, I, I can't preach tonight. There's a young man that's been killed, and we need to go over to the family and minister to them. And they said, Pastor, look, you don't understand. We stick to ourselves, and the gang members, they stick to themselves. I said, let's just go over there, and let's just minister. Let's just show up, and let's just see what happens. And they said, well, Pastor, we'll give you an offering. So the, they, they gave me an offering for $38, and I went across the street, and I knock on the door of the apartment. And when they knock on the door, the door flung open, and I was staring in the face of the biggest gang member I'd ever seen in my life. He looked down at me, and then I looked up at him, and then I looked up at God and said, God, 
I've always heard there's a place called heaven. Save me a place. I'm coming home real soon. I mean, he had so many tattoos that if he flexed his left bicep, the Old Testament would come out. And the New Testament over here. He said, what do you want, Padre? You'll say, did you correct him because you're not a Padre? Uh-uh. When you're that big, big, you can call me whatever you want to call me. You can call me Padre, Bishop, Ray, Ray J, whatever you want to call me. Just don't kill me, you know. And, and so I walked in. I had $38. I prayed for the mother. She was so sweet. And she's like, oh, good. I see this mijo. She was like squeezing my face because I was so young. I was 20. I looked like the kid from Home Alone. And I was just like, oh, thank you. I gave her the money. I was so scared, and I was walking out the door. As I was getting closer to the door, a hand grabbed me and spun me around. The gang member said, hey, Padre, before you leave, I want you to do something. Thank you for giving that money to the mother. And they were talking about retaliation. It was crazy. He said, I want you to stay and pray for the family. I didn't know what to do. I just got out of Bible college. But Bible college never prepared me for gang ministry 101 and drive-by prayers 102. So I memorized something in Bible college. Those little memorized prayers, they're called Christian autopilot prayers that will get you out of any situation. They're general enough to get you surviving. So we all joined together, all these gang members. Our first day in L.A., we're joining around a circle, and I begin to pray, Dear Heavenly Father, my memorized Bible college prayer, I pray that you'll bless this habitation with your glorification. May your manifestation be here during this presentation, O God of great sensation. I pray that you'll bless the birds and the trees and the flowers and the leaves and my knees. Pretty please. Oh, I'm like rhyming. It's like the spirit of Lecrae and Dr. Dre on me. I'm like, how am I, how am I flowing? I, I can't flow, but I'm flowing. I can almost feel like a beat in my head, you know. It's like... And I've never felt that before. It was really weird. I was rhyming in Bible college prayers. But we're in the circle in the middle of my prayer. I was just praying. And then the Lord spoke to me. He said, you will never get this opportunity again. Pray like you really mean it. I said, okay, God. Lord, I pray that peace would prevail in this neighborhood. And I looked around. <laughs> Nothing happened. So I prayed a little bolder. I said, God, I pray that these young men would realize that they're not as strong as they think they are. And they need Jesus. And right when I said strong as they think they are, they're not as strong as they think they are. My right hand next to me got squeezed. My left hand got, I said, oh my goodness, he hates my prayer. I'm going down. But if I'm going down, I might as well set the record for the shortest stint as a pastor of all time. You know, I got to be famous for something. And I, I just started praying, Lord, they would repent and get their life right with God. I just went for it. And I said, if you want to get saved, just a suggestion, if you want to get saved... Raise a hand in the air. Have you ever prayed a prayer with 1% faith? And God's like, good enough, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll work with that. That's what it felt like. I said, you didn't get saved. Raise my right hand was being lifted. My left hand was being lifted. I looked around that circle, and every single one of those guys prayed the prayer, and they accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior on the first day of being in L.A. And from that day on, I had the best bodyguards my car never got broken into. I'd go across the street to that liquor store to give me a 40-ounce Coke. And the guy would be like, hola, padre. I'm not the padre, I'm the pastor. He said, you're the padre, and the padre gets all the free food and drinks he wants. I said, you say free food, free drinks? He said, yes, I did. I said, bless you, my son. In the name of the Father, son. I'm throwing holy water and everything on the brother. Don't let titles get in the way of free food. 1 Samuel 114, verse 17. West Coast version. And I saw those guys' lives being changed. And for 26 years, I never see myself as a pastor. I just see myself as a city janitor walking through the streets of L.A., picking up broken pieces and telling people, 
they can dream again. Just acknowledge God with what you have. Acknowledge God with whatever you're dealt with. Acknowledge God with your pain, your testimony, your struggle, your story, your burden, the current state you're at. Whatever you have, if you're flourishing, acknowledge God with your flourishing season. If you're struggling, acknowledge God by sharing your battle. And he will direct your path.